worship you, God. And as we worship you, God, we acknowledge, Lord, that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. What kind of king would leave his heavenly throne and enter into our world, God? Only you. What kind of king would not just enter into this world, but enter into our suffering and ultimately suffer for us? Only you, God. And so, Lord, we worship you in response to your great love, in response to how amazing you truly are, God. As we come to your word this today, Lord, give us ears to listen, God. Whatever challenges, issues, Lord, we may be facing, we come as we are before you, Lord. Give us the integrity of heart to not hide anything from you in your presence, God. But instead to know that your presence is a safe place for us to be as we are. Even in our brokenness, even with our weakness and limitations, God. We know you love us. And you desire to, to pour out your love on us. And so, God, we ask this morning, today, as we fellowship and come to your word, that you do that. You speak to us in ways that can transform our lives. Give us peace through your word. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning, church. You may be seated. Good morning to everyone tuning in online. As we are about to hit the afternoon, I'm confused as to whether this is morning or afternoon, but let me give you the title of the sermon today just before we hit midday, and that is an invitation to breakfast. <laughs> I think just as soon as uh, we hit midday, this invitation probably just sounds a little bit... Um, just um, not as appropriate, but we are going to talk about the invitation that Jesus has given all of us to breakfast today. So we are, if you've been following us in our study of the book of John, we have reached the final chapter. <laughs> it is chapter 21 today, and um, I'm sure many of us are... Sort of excited, um, but grateful that uh, I'm sure we have learned for everything we have learned as we really took, I would say, a microscopic view into the gospel over the past year and a half. Just to recap, before we get into this final chapter, chapter 21, what's been happening in chapter 20, okay? So... We, we learn in chapter 20 about Jesus' resurrection. And then uh, we see that Jesus appears to his disciples on two separate occasions. The first time was actually on the day of his resurrection. Uh, the disciples were hiding. 
um, in, in a house and they had locked all the rooms. So they were gathering behind locked doors, the Bible says. And they were doing this because they were scared of what the Jews might do to them. Because the Jews had discovered that Jesus' body was not in the tomb. So there was a rumor going around that perhaps the, the disciples had taken his body, had stolen his body. Now, this was not the case, uh, but the disciples were fearful of what might happen if the uh, Jewish people found them. So they were hiding. And Jesus shows up. In that first encounter with the disciples, Jesus gives them peace and joy, and he breathes the Holy Spirit in them. But we learn that Thomas was not there that night. And so eight days later, the disciples are back in that room, and they've locked the doors again. And this time, Jesus shows up to them again, but he turns to Thomas who he knows has doubt. And he, he proves to Thomas that he is real, that it is him, that he is not just a ghost, but that he is a physical being that Thomas could in fact touch him um, and also inspect his wounds. Now notice how John um, has been detailed in his accounts throughout the whole book of, as we have been studying it. And it is no different in this chapter. He points out the detail that Jesus' resurrected body is able to walk through walls. Okay, Because we know that it wasn't the disciples that opened the doors or anything or heard Jesus knocking. They were in a room, the door was locked, and Jesus showed up. Now, I believe that John intended to communicate that what they witnessed was not just a resuscitated part body of Jesus. In other words, it wasn't that Jesus was only dead for a moment, but he wasn't actually uh, clinically dead to the point um, that he wouldn't be revived. And somehow he was resuscitated back to life. There was a rumor going on that that may have been the case as well. That Jesus was not next, not resurrected. He was simply a, res, a resuscitated body. But you see, John was saying, well, Jesus' body was similar as before, but different in that this time he could walk through walls. There was something different about Jesus when they met him. John was also making the point that Jesus wasn't just a ghost. Like even though he could walk through walls, what we're about to read in chapter 21 is Jesus could have breakfast. If any of you were in my generation and you would watch Casper, the friendly ghost, remember that scene at the end where all the uncles and ghosts are eating. They're eating all this food, but the food's just going down to the floor because they're ghosts. <laughs> but not with Jesus. Jesus was able to walk through walls, but he could also eat. And so in that sense, he wasn't a ghost. Also, Thomas got to touch him physically. And so John was making the point with that detail 
that Jesus had a newly resurrected body that was fully transformed and perfected. And then at the end of chapter 20, John concludes the book by saying why he wrote it, right? He says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now that sounds like a good way to conclude the gospel, doesn't it? It seems like that would be a good ending, But we still have a bonus chapter, chapter 21. And every Marvel movie fan here would know to wait till the end of the credits for that bonus scene or bonus couple of scenes to know what's coming next. Well, chapter 21 is much like that bonus scene. John has ended. The credits are rolling. But then there's this final scene at the end. And so this is what we're going to look at. The first half of that final scene. We are about nine days now after the resurrection. Okay? And Jesus is now appearing to his disciples for the third time. So if you have your Bibles with you, um, would you turn or scroll with me to John chapter 21, verses 1 to 14. Otherwise, you can follow along here. I know it's a bit disorienting because I'm looking here, but the verses are here, but it is just genuinely easier for me to read. So here we go. John chapter 21 verses 1 to 14. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. And they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. He said to them, well, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came into the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 150 three of them. And although there was so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish, 
This was the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So the disciples are now back in Galilee, all right? They had traveled from Jerusalem, and they were now back in their home territory. And Peter, who is the natural group of the leader, uh, of the pack, natural leader of the pack, he says, I'm going fishing. I guess Peter didn't know what else to do. The past few weeks were incredibly intense for them with the nightmare of Jesus' crucifixion and then the amazing miracle of his resurrection. And Jesus had not given them any specific instructions other than he would meet them in Galilee. And he gave these instructions before his death. In Mark chapter 14, verse 28, Jesus says, But after I'm raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. So now they're in Galilee and they are waiting. I imagine they would have been somewhat disoriented. Jesus wasn't there and he hadn't told them what to do next. So Peter decides to go fishing. And I guess he figured, well, I might as well do something productive while I wait. I mean, we got to eat and we got to make money. And the others reply, we'll go with you. So they were restless too. But that night, we learned that they caught nothing. Now, we have to remember that Peter is a trained fisherman. Okay? This was his profession before he followed Jesus. And so I'm sure that night they tried every method to get some fish. But despite all their hard work, they caught nothing. Then early in the morning, they heard a voice from the shore. And Jesus says, hey, boys, have you got anything? Now, I'm sure in that moment, they're thinking, who's that? Who is this guy? And so they just yelled, no. And even though they were about only 90 meters away from the shore, they didn't recognize that that was Jesus. And so Jesus says to them, why don't you try the right side? Now imagine, okay, these trained fishermen had tried all night. And I'm sure they were hungry. They were frustrated. They were tired. And in that given circumstance, you would expect them to be annoyed. You would expect them to be irritated by somebody yelling out, well, try the right side. As if we didn't. You would expect them to to be irritated by that comment. But to the disciples, these instructions were familiar. They've heard it before. So they tossed the net on the right side of the boat. And all of a sudden, there were so many fish that they couldn't even pull the net in. You see, this happened to them before, about three years ago. If we... Go to Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. It, Luke says, tells of the story of when Jesus first revealed himself to, these, to Peter and the, the other disciples. It says, one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. 
he got into the, one of the boats, one belonging to Simon, and asked him to pull out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. Familiar? But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that the nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that the boats began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. Now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything and followed Jesus. So you can imagine having experienced that three years ago, John looks to Peter when the net was full of fish and says with excitement, it's the Lord. As disciples, we often find ourselves waiting on Jesus. Sometimes we are waiting for direction. Sometimes we wait for his provision. Sometimes we're stuck in a very hard place and we are waiting for his help. Jesus' timing and purposes are not always clear to us. And while we wait we often become impatient. Like Peter, we may prefer to do something productive with our time. Now, we must understand that God does not, Jesus does not rebuke Peter for going fishing. So it wasn't wrong that Peter decided to do that. But even as an experienced and trained fisherman, Peter needed the Lord's guidance. That's the point of that story. When the disciples were desperate, when they were weary, they were frustrated, and they had come to the end of themselves, Jesus met them there, and he gave them direction. Before Jesus' death, he had said to the disciples that apart from him, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And here at the Sea of Galilee, we see that It was not until the disciples obeyed Jesus' command that their labor became fruitful. And we must remember that by now, Jesus had called the disciples to the kingdom work of fishing for men, of making disciples. And herein lies the lesson of this fishing trip. As disciple makers, you and I need Jesus to guide our activities. There are many things that we as a church have been praying for, many breakthroughs that God would do in our church and through our church. We are believing that God will do great things in this body of Christ and through it. But as we wait... As we wait for 
what God is taking us into. We do what we can under the Lord's guidance. We do what we can. Do you feel that the Lord has called you to the work of the kingdom, but you're not sure what that is? You're not sure what that involves. As you wait for things to become clearer, ask the Lord to guide you in loving and serving the people he has placed in your life. Ask the Lord to guide you in how you can faithfully love those around you and obey. Life group leaders, are you praying for breakthrough to happen in your life group and in your ministry? Well, as you wait, ask the Lord to guide you in how you can disciple the people he has entrusted to you and obey. We don't want to be a church that seems productive and busy with so many programs But in actual fact, we're doing things by our own wisdom and initiative. We need to be careful that our impatience and our need to feel productive does not lead to human solutions that end up creating more problems. Do you remember that this happened with Sarah, Abraham's wife, as she waited on the Lord to fulfill his promise for them? She decides to get productive because she got impatient. And so she asked her maidservant to bear her child. But that ended up creating way more problems. You see, the disciples, they had worked all night. They worked, but they caught nothing. And this is what happens when we try to accomplish spiritual things but with our own strength and at our own direction. You see, in order for our work to be spiritually fruitful, two things are required. God's direction and our obedience. This is what required if we want our labor to bear spiritual fruit. God's direction and our obedience obedience. May we be a church that is directed and led and empowered by God in everything that we do. Meaning he is, uh, God is the one with the plan and he says that he will build his church. So may we be a church that continually seeks his instruction and obey. You see, no matter how challenging The task, how outside the comfort zone a task, or even how little the task. Jesus is Lord, meaning he is able to do the impossible. You see, the disciples still needed to do some work. They still needed to do the work of throwing the net on the right side, okay, But in doing so, Jesus, in obeying Jesus' command, Jesus blessed their work abundantly. John remembers this miracle vividly. He even writes the detail that they had 153 large fish and the net didn't 
even break. So do not be discouraged if you feel like you are only doing little. Any work, as little as it may seem, any work done in obedience to God will be blessed. Any work. Now coming back to the moment that John realizes it is Jesus calling out from the shore. Peter is the first one to take action. He grabs his shirt, he jumps into the water, and he gets to Jesus as quickly as he can. Here we can see how different the personalities are between John and Peter. John is a bit more of a thinker, and he has great spiritual insight. He listens to the direction, he follows it, and he realizes it's the Lord. Peter is more of a doer. He's more action-oriented. The moment he realizes it's God, he jumps into the water and rushes straight to Jesus. Each personality is important in the church. God uses different people for his glory in building his kingdom. And let's not forget that Peter was a denier. And Thomas was... A doubter. The body of Christ is made up of deniers and doubters and people who sin of uh, sin and sinners of all kinds. But those who have been forgiven by the grace of God and who have been called to do the work of the kingdom. It's worth noting as well that the last that Peter would have not forgotten the final moments that he was ashamed about leading to Jesus' death. And that was the, when he denied Jesus. And it's worth noting that despite the shame he would have felt, that he runs to Jesus anyway. He goes to Jesus anyway. You see, when we have failed... May we remember that just like Peter, we can run to our Savior. Even if it is Jesus himself whom we have failed. No matter how much you feel you've messed up, you can run to Jesus. You can run to him. When Peter reached the shore, he finds breakfast waiting for him. Jesus was cooking fish over a charcoal fire. And I think I understand why. I do prefer charcoal fires. It must, it must be because it's biblical. <laughs> the only time the detail of a charcoal fire. Now again, another detail. And the only time a charcoal fire was mentioned in the Gospel of John. Do you know when that was? The night Peter denied Jesus. It was that night at the courtyard, and he was gathering with others among a charcoal fire, and that's when people started to question him. Aren't you the one who's with the, the guy who's just got arrested? You see, there is beauty in the details. Not necessarily to read too much into it, but to know that God is intentional with the things that he does. Jesus was turning a moment of denial and failure in Peter's life 
into a moment of relationship and restoration. And Pastor Carol next week will cover that part of Peter's restoration and conclude the study of this book. But today we reflect on what happened when the disciples had reached their lowest point. Jesus invites them for breakfast. Jesus says, come and eat. In the Bible, eating always suggests fellowship. Nowadays, our meal times are often short and they're hurried and we, we're often eating as we're doing something else. As I was rushing to church this morning, trying to feed my two kids um, with something that they would want to eat. The, the only thing I could think of was driving through Maccas and getting their hash brown. That was genuinely the only thing. And that's often what mealtimes are like in our busy lives. We're rushing through from one place to another and we're just trying to eat on the way. We're trying to squeeze in a meal whenever we can. Squeeze in a lunch break. Squeeze in an appointment with somebody over a quick lunch. But you see, in Bible times... Meals required careful preparation. They were like these more drawn out occasions that people would then come knowing that they would be together to talk, to fellowship, and to enjoy each other's company. Have you been trying to do things by your own strength and understanding? Are you frustrated, weary, and feel like you've just reached the end of yourself? And you feel like there's just no more time to do anything. But Jesus says, come, eat with me. Notice how Jesus doesn't say to the disciples when they reach the shore, shore why didn't you recognize me? I've appeared to you twice already by now you should know who I am or he doesn't say why did you go fishing I didn't tell you to go fishing Jesus doesn't say that he says come come let me serve you some breakfast are you ashamed of the failure that you have done or perhaps of how badly you've messed up this time. You're thinking, no, I've messed up before, but this time I've really messed up, God. It's really messy right now. When Jesus says, come, eat with me. In the book, Gentle and Lowly, Dane Ortlund comment, comments this. We tend to think that when we approach Jesus for help in our need and mercy amid our sins, we somehow detract from him, lessen him, impoverish him. In other words, we think like, you know, Christ is going to get worn out because we messed up and messed up and messed up again and again. Now he's going to be sick of it. He's going to be sick of me. That's what we tend to think, isn't it? Like how much grace does he really have? Like how much can he really take it? 
Because man, I reckon I've tested his limit. Often that's what we think when we reflect on our failure. Yet he says, Christ's heart is not drained by our coming to him. God doesn't get drained that you come to him for mercy and help over and over again. He doesn't get drained that you need to be comforted again and again and again. No, his heart is filled up all the more by you coming to him. In other words, Christ loves it when you come to him. He loves it when you keep coming to him in any condition. No matter how broken or messed up you are, he loves it when you come to him and ask for his grace and seek his comfort again. He loves it not because he's happy about you being broken and needy. No, he died to redeem that ultimately at the end. He doesn't get that thrill from seeing you that way. No. He loves it because he loves you. And how, no matter how much you've messed up, how, wrong, how much wrong you've done, you will never wear out his grace for you. You will never wear God out. In fact, as you are comforted by him, he is also comforted by you coming to him. Isn't that wonderful? In your lowest moment, Jesus says, come to me. Me personally, having a nice meal, having a good chat with somebody is genuinely what I look forward to. I, I, love, I love it when there is brunch or lunch or dinner or barbecue like put in my calendar. I genuinely look forward to it. And likewise, when Jesus invites us for a meal, it's because he wants to spend time with you. It's not because you're in trouble and he needs to address something serious over a meal. No, he wants to spend time with you. Like Jesus actually enjoys it. He wants to be with you. Is this how you've been viewing your personal time with God? Do you read the Bible in a hurry like it's a rushed meal? Like it's a cheeseburger on your way to another appointment? Or do you make the time to enjoy being with God? Like it's a proper fellowship and meal every time you spend time with Him. You see, God's never in a hurry. We're often the ones in a hurry, aren't we? We think we're too busy all the time. And we're often too busy to spend time with God. The invitation to come and eat, it's not just so that you would be spiritually fed but is that you would find rest and that you would be replenished in His presence. Are you missing out on beautiful relational moments with God because you treat spending time with God like it's a fast food meal? 
You treat spending time with God like it's a task that you need to do that day and check off your list, just like going to the grocery store. Every day, Jesus is inviting you to fellowship with him. And I know the invitation here, he says, is for breakfast, but really it's for any time that day. It's to share a meal with him any time that day. You and him enjoying each other's company. You see, our culture, we're so obsessed with productivity and speed. We've become such an impatient people. Anything that takes time is not worth the time it takes. But amid our busyness, the most important appointment we will have each day is to have breakfast or a meal with Jesus. How many of you can afford to have breakfast in the mornings? I know me as a mom of two with certain commitments, just finding the time to slow down and just eating breakfast has been challenging. But you see, the most important appointment you will have that day is a meal with Jesus, is fellowship with Jesus. Perhaps some of you are weary today. Some of you are anxious. Some of you are frustrated because you've been neglecting this appointment. You've been putting the appointment off. You've been rescheduling and rescheduling and thinking you can make up for it next time. You know, we often ask for God's wisdom. We pray for the wisdom of God and we think that as we step, the wisdom will just come and pop into our minds. But in those days, disciples, another word is students, would actually follow their teacher around, would follow their rabbi. They would learn by living with the rabbi. And that's what the disciples did. Learn by living with Jesus, spending time with him, observing him, listening to him. Learning God's wisdom is not going... I, was, I used the analogy before of a magic eight ball and I use this often. Remember when we used to have those eight balls and like, what should we do today? And just wait for the answer. Oh God, what, which, which opportunity should I take? A or B? And we somehow go through the Bible and ask God to land us spiritually somewhere. And then we see that Jesus would, that Moses parted the Red Sea. Somehow we've landed in Exodus and we're trying to make sense. What is God trying to say? That he will part the sea for me? Often that's how we treat seeking God's wisdom, isn't it? But learning God's wisdom and hearing his instructions require us to listen to him. Because God, like any person, he will speak. He wants to speak to you, but he's not just going to get to the point. It's a fellowship. You've got to spend time with him and you will learn his wisdom. Make the time to learn from him, to listen to him, and you will receive direction, encouragement, wisdom, whatever you need. 
Jesus is always relational. As his disciples, we should also make the time for fellowship with one another. Being predominantly Asian as a church, I think one thing that is strong in our church culture is that we love to have meals with one another. We love to fellowship over a meal. Let our meals together not just simply be a good time where we get to hang out, but truly be a time of building one another in faith, in love, in hearing, in listening to your sister or brother in Christ, in bearing their burden and praying for them. You know, during lockdown, fellowship went online. And I got to tell you, as a mom of two, this morning, Faithy had not woken up. And I knew I needed to be church by, at church by 9.30. And so last night, predicting that this was going to happen, she was already dressed in today's attire. I tried to make it as comfortable as it is. I know this is probably a trick that many moms have when they have early um, church services. And I basically had to drag her out of bed, put her shoes on. She was crying because I hadn't put her socks on properly. Just put her shoes on and put her in the car. And like I must admit, like when church went online, as much work that I needed to do behind the scenes, but being at church was convenient. I just, I didn't need a change. I didn't need to change my kids. didn't need to brush my teeth if I didn't want to. <laughs> it was convenient, wasn't it? Getting to life group was convenient. Just log online. But <laughs> it worked. It was necessary for that time. But now the Lord has called us back to fellowship with one another. To make the time. Like everyone's always rushing from one, you know, after the service, you've got one thing, one thing. May we savor moments of fellowship together in building one another up in the Spirit of God, in the body of Christ. Corporate worship and fellowship was not meant to be consumed like a quick meal. Done. Heard the sermon. Done. It was meant to be designed to strengthen your faith as you come in person and worship and fellowship with one another, with other believers. Let us stand, church. Lord, we thank you so much for your word today. We thank you for your faithfulness, God. For those of us, Lord, who are waiting on you. God, perhaps we're in a, in a, in a time right now where things are a bit disorienting and we're just not sure, God, what the next thing is. Planning has become increasingly difficult, God. But we know, God, you've got great things ahead. We just don't know, Lord, what that looks like. Lord, I ask that you give us faith to wait on you. And in the meantime, Lord, to follow your guidance and direction, to be faithful in what it is that we can do as we wait, to be faithful to the call to love you, to be faithful to the call to love one another. To be faithful in serving the people you have placed in our lives. Lord, 
I also ask for those of us who are just feeling a certain sense of emptiness. Like, we just want to look for great, like, big, magnificent things. Sometimes we go to one thing and, and we get excited. We're out and, and we feel a thrill, but we come home and we still feel that emptiness. Lord, for those of us who are feeling that way, I ask that you would reveal yourself personally to them. That they, you would give them the faith to invite, to respond to your invitation to come to breakfast with you. And to give them the faith that if they obeyed God, they will find more than just breakfast, but they will find life. They will find finally that, that, that the reason that they've been feeling that emptiness because they've been away from you. And so I ask God, you give them the faith to step into that, to obey you when you say come, that they would find you and find life. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray.